Now, I know how life is in these parts, working a trade, sun up to sundown, no time for reading newspapers, am I correct? Let me do that work for you. And maybe, just for tonight, we can escape our troubles. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us on the show has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 109, and our movie this week was News of the World with Tom Hanks. And joining me to talk about it, because he had never seen it before, neither had I, Adam from the So Wizard Podcast. Adam, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Good. So, so you chose this movie. Now, I had not heard of it prior to you uh, getting a hold of me and saying, um, you know, hey, this would be the movie I'd like to do. How did you find out about it? Because I, I feel like I'm up on most movies, but this one completely slipped past me. Well, it was supposed to be a 2020 release, so I think a lot of those just kind of fell through the cracks because no one knew what was going on. Uh, I read about it in Variety. Okay. And then I had seen the trailer. I looked it up because I read about it. And I mean, I'm pretty much in on a Tom Hanks movie anyway. Right. Uh, but the trailer was also pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm with you on Tom Hanks. Like as soon as I saw, and that's all I knew going in uh, was Tom Hanks. And then I think I saw maybe ahead of time that Paul Greengrass directed it. And that was like all I knew going in. I had no idea that it was a Western uh, or, <laughs> or anything. And so... <laughs> So Tom Hanks, he has had an amazing career. Uh, oh yeah, from from you know Joe versus the volcano and all the comedy stuff that he did on through to you know the kind of his peak in the I would say early to mid nineties. But really, that he's still really good, and he's really good in this movie. Yeah, he does always deliver, um, which is why I'm still you know into Tom Hanks. What was cool about Tom Hanks is you can watch a movie when you're eight years old and love him, and you can watch a movie when you're in your 30s and love him because he just he does it all. Yeah, he he's got this presence about him where you just feel like he's always trustworthy. There's something about that, and in this movie, I think that the character that he plays, a Captain Kid, ha- you have to have that kind of an actor to pull this character off because you you believe all the way through the movie that he's doing what he feels is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Even if it isn't, even if it's not going to work out, he he honestly believes this is the right thing to do in every situation, but especially with this girl, and he just knocks it out of the park. He's so he's aged very well too, where he still has that uh, kind of fatherly or or sort of cool uncle feel to him, but then still this like earnest. There's there's this earnestness about Tom Hanks that I really really like. Because we yeah. know he can be funny. I mean, you look at his early stuff. You look at Big. You look at uh, the Burbs. He can be goofy and funny, and he still can do that. But he's so good at being believable in whatever role he's in. And he expresses so much with just his eyes. Like it's unreal how good he is at that. Still, after watching him for so many years. Yes, that is that is something that. Uh, goes a long way when you can do that much without having to say a word. And there's a lot of that in this movie from him and from the young girl. We'll get to Mm -hmm. in a minute. Um, Where they have to do so much acting 
with just their eyes, with just their face, without delivering any dialogue, and you feel all that emotion throughout it. And I really appreciated that. And his character goes through an interesting journey because you learn so much about him throughout the movie that I didn't, I sort of expected, but then kind of didn't. Like, there's, you know, they they play on this thing with his wife, and I'm thinking, okay, so she died. Yeah. Then I'm then you're getting the the feeling that no, she didn't die. He just left her because the way he says that, I left a wife in San Antonio. Yeah. Meanwhile, this whole time she has died, and he knows this already. But somehow, like he just he makes you believe that no, she he like things just went wrong. He's carrying so much, um, such a burden on his shoulders throughout so much of the movie. For for people listening, it's probably also important to note that this is right after the Civil War, and he fought on the losing side. Right. Yes. So this is him in not yet America again. It's still the the Confederacy occupied by Union soldiers. Which I also liked that they did that with the character because it's so easy for us looking back to paint the Civil War as, you know, they rebelled, they lost. I mean, maybe just because I'm from the North. (laughs) Sorry about the cat. Um, But to have him be someone from the losing side, but he's not bearing a grudge on the North. It was just kind of something that happened and he's trying to move past it. But he's obviously very weighed down by it. Yeah, yeah, he really is. And... It, it was definitely not what I expected uh, of that character and and of the movie. So I really like that. And then on top of that, he and uh, what is her name? Her name is Helena Zengel, uh, played Johanna, Johanna, um, or Cicada, depending on uh, on who's talking to her at the time. Mm-hmm. She was phenomenal too. She um, was, and I had never seen the, that kid before. And a lot of times, kids they go. They go too far into acting, and it's like mm-hmm. old-style acting where you're like stage acting, really playing it up. And she was really doing the bare minimum, like in a good way. Like she was not chewing the scenery at all. Right. Yeah, it's very easy. So she plays a character who is uh, – Johanna has – she was – she's German, uh, but was mm-hmm. taken from her German family uh, by Co- Kiowa Indians – um, what around four years old or so? Three she's or supposed four, to be, yeah, something like that. Yeah, and she's supposed to be about ten. So she's been with the the Kiowa for six years, um, and then was taken from the Kiowa by un by Union soldiers, and, and that family was killed as well. Yes. Uh oh that that scene in the restaurant with um when they're eating and the the woman that Tom Hanks that you know Captain Kidd knows starts speaking Kiowa to her and just. He says, you know, this girl's family was killed. This this girl is an orphan twice over. Like, yeah. Oh, that was such a gut punch of a scene. Yeah, you could not feel worse for this kid. You know, and and it would have been very easy for her to definitely over emote, overact. Um, and mm-hmm. she didn't. Now, this was her first English language film, from what I understood from the trivia. Um, doing okay. a little bit of research. Uh, she is German. The only thing they didn't have to teach her prior to this movie was horse riding, because I guess she did that. She's twelve. She's been riding horses for most of her life, but they wow. they taught her some of the um, Kiowa language to to speak. I can't speak to whether or not her her accent was any good, but I I believed her the whole time. And it's the kind of feral child isn't quite right because she really isn't. She's just she's a child of a different society. Now she's being forced into this you know white person society again. That she really but doesn't also, know. With all the trauma. <laughs> yeah. 
on top of all the trauma. And she just kills it. And not only that, her chemistry with Tom Hanks, the two of them together, really works. There's there's a few different scenes where it's just the two of them on the wagon as they're they're making their way and their conversations. And it was just great. Like you really got this sense that that the two of them just got along on set. And I guess from what I was reading, they they did. She did she had no idea who Tom Hanks was prior to making this movie. Could you imagine, like, in a few years when she finds out, like, what an opportunity her first Hollywood movie was with, like, one of the biggest legends in Hollywood? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, And I can 100% believe that he would be, you know, just great to work with for a kid because, again, it's Tom Hanks. Like, just he just exudes being one of the nicest people you can imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine he's ever a problem on set. (laughs) No. No, not at all. There's a reason why he played Mr. Rogers. You know, right, like, exactly, yeah. <laughs> the, he's the closest thing we'll ever have to Fred Rogers again. But the two of them just did such a good job together, and, and the whole movie has to uh, fall on their shoulders. Like, they have to carry all of it. And not only mm-hmm. do they, but they do it with so little dialogue. Um, it's, it is a lot of... To describe it, you would think that it's boring because it's a lot of scenes of the two of them either walking in the wilderness or riding on their their wagon in the wilderness. And and a lot of times, not even like I mean, there's a few times where they're out running stuff, but a lot of times it's literally just them traveling from place to place. Mm-hmm. But it's not boring, which is really incredible. Yeah, no, it's and that that is a credit to Paul Greengrass, and we will talk about him uh, shortly, but. Yeah, I just, I really liked the two of them together. And then, you know, we had a few other, the only other actor I really recognized was um, the the man that he goes to in the first town um, and tries to leave the girl with him and his wife, uh, the guy that's mm-hmm. playing the fiddle. Um, I recognized him. If you've ever seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. He was in that as Vernon T. Waldrop. And for whatever reason, I just always recognize that guy. I think it's maybe the big nose he's got or something. He's he has a very like a, distinct voice, too. Yes. So I saw him right away. I was like, boy, is that in, you know, that movie was 20-something. That was 20 years ago, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. So it took me a second. I looked up, and sure enough, that was him. Outside of that, I didn't recognize a whole lot of other people um, myself. I think the guy in the, the town where he was having everyone work for him, I forget the character's name. I'm terrible with names. Oh, like, yeah, he yeah, looked yeah. familiar, but I, I still can't place him, so. Uh, yeah, that was um, Fairly, Mr. Fairly. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, yeah, I've, I, I know I've seen him in something before. The, um, the Confederate soldier that chases him down, um, Almay, reminded me so much of Oscar Isaac. It was crazy. <laughs> I, I could see that, yeah. <laughs> um, I just kept thinking of him as like, uh, you know, not quite Oscar Isaac. I did like that character having just one arm. It took me a little mm-hmm. bit to notice that he, you know, that one arm was just hanging there. It was when he was riding his horse. I saw that, but yeah. Uh, I mean, outside of that, like it's just, it's the two of them carrying this whole movie. It's them 80% of the time. The, the kid that played, um, that helps him out of that scrape in the town with, uh, fairly, uh, yeah. the kid, um, he was good. He, the the funny thing with him is I kept waiting for like something to happen with him like it, I think it was the way he was constantly had this big like shit eating grin with every yeah. line that he spoke I kept waiting for like that moment where he was gonna you know and maybe it's the jaded moviegoer in me where he was gonna turn on them he was gonna do something he was gonna try and make some kind of a move and he never did he was just a good kid 
Um, that was my first impression. I, I don't know how far into spoilers we should get on this, but uh, he he says something about his character's past mm-hmm. that's like, oh, that's that's definitely you know that's that's introducing the loaded gun that that's going to have to go off later because you can't drop a piece of information like that and have it not shape the rest of the character's journey. Yeah, I'm sure I know. You, you know what I'm getting at. I'm just trying not to give it all away. Oh, we don't worry about spoilers here. If people haven't seen the movie, I mean, this one, I feel like because this is the the, easily, the most recent film that I've covered on the show, so usually I'm, I'm you know covering something that's 30 years old and spoilers, I don't mm-hmm. care about at that point. So maybe you're right. But yeah, I, and it just, it was one of those where I kept waiting for it and waiting for it and it never happened. And I'm glad, like the movie is better for that. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right because it could be the like you said the jaded moviegoer, and there's plenty of nastiness in the movie. But kind of the the whole point of Tom Hanks' character is that he's trying to be a decent person in a indecent world. Yeah, yep, exactly. And he really doesn't know how to either. Like he's trying, but he's carrying so much weight with him throughout the whole movie. And it's not until he figures out that no, this little girl is uh, is what I need. Like is the, right. the thing that I need in my life because when we meet him in the beginning of the movie, he's doing his news reading and he's, he's very well dressed. His clothes look great. Uh, his beard is well kept and he does his news reading. And it's an interesting idea to have. It's just somebody who travels from town to town in Texas reading newspapers to everybody because they don't have time for it. And there's probably a good number of them that can't read. Yeah. So, but throughout the, the course of the movie, he keeps getting more and more disheveled. And when he ends up in San Antonio, after he drops the girl off with her aunt and uncle, he's looking rough. He's, yeah. he, you know, it's been, it's been weeks. Uh, well, we don't know exactly how long. I know at the beginning he says, you know, we'll be on this road for a few days and then it'll be several weeks after that. But he's looking rough. He's looking tired and run down. And then we get that little denouement at the end. Uh, where he's back reading the news and he looks great again. He's got a, a new kind of lease on life. He's he's reinvigorated and that's great. Uh, it's nice to see that kind of journey for him. I also liked how they did the news readings because the first time he does it, he's in this dimly lit, it's raining, he's leaning over it and he's really just reciting the words. He's not mm-hmm. into it. He's just going through the motions. And uh, then when he does a couple more and then he's in that, town wherever it was basically a labor camp of a town yeah and he's kind of trying to stir the pot a little bit he's getting more and more into it and referring to the exact wording less Mm -hmm. and then in the end it's a performance which i thought was a really cool change yeah i like that quite a bit Uh, he sort of you could see that that scene in the town where he was trying to stir things up you could see a change in him in terms of like delivering this story Mm-hmm. And realizing, because he makes a mention to uh, Johanna at one point when she pulls out his newspapers, he's like, "Look at all the words, you know, printed in a line like that. They're stories." But at the beginning of the movie, he's definitely just reciting what's there, and he's not yeah. telling a story. So it's, it's really like cool was, to see that. Like he was doing it because he didn't really know what else to do with himself. Yep. Because um, he used to print, he he says at one point, and lost that, so he kind of lost his whole previous identity. And he was really just doing it for the sake of doing it. And then as it went on, he realized that it's important. And it was, you know, kind of a parallel to him realizing that he still has a purpose. And it was really nicely done without, like, beating you over the head with it. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, okay. So, uh, that brings us to, to Paul Greengrass who wrote, co-wrote the screenplay and directed this. I have an interesting kind of history with Paul Greengrass because my introduction to him was the born supremacy. Okay. Which when I go back and watch it now, I enjoy, but when I first saw it, partially because the person I went and saw it with was a giant Jason Bourne fan of the books, a Robert Ludlum fan, and he was just seething in the theater at this movie because it was so different from, from the books that he loved. So that, that somewhat colored my, uh, my feelings on that. I've gone back and watched his Bourne films again and realized that they're, they're really well made. Um, yeah, more objectively, yes, <laughs> with some distance, <laughs> far far more objectively. Ultimatum, I think, is a is a much better movie than Supremacy either way. But you know, Green Zone, Captain Phillips, uh, United ninety three, um, he's he's put out some pretty good movies. He has a very interesting kind of visual style that I like because he can make something. This movie should be, by all rights, boring as hell. Yeah, right? like you said, it's just two people meandering through the Texas wilderness for two hours. And it's not at all. He, he, he does a great job of keeping your attention on things without having to have a set piece. Every, there are a couple of action scenes, right? There is, there is a couple of scenes where stuff happens. There's a scene with uh, the wagon where they end up going downhill and a, and a wheel breaks. Um, mm-hmm. There's a shootout scene that's really well put together. Really um, well put together. Cause I thought it was going to maybe tap into his past as a, a soldier because he was an infantryman and all that kind of stuff. And I, I guess it did in a way, like he probably wouldn't have known how to handle himself as a newspaper printer if he'd never served, but it wasn't this like Hollywood action, like three ten to Yuma style shootout. It was very, very real and subdued and well thought out. It was. And I love the idea. So he's got, he's got a shot, pardon me. He's got a shotgun with some bird shot in it and then a revolver that his friend gave him and the revolvers. He's got like 20 rounds for it. He's basically out of those. The girl hands him the shotgun. He's like, this is no good. It's bird shot. You know, he's dumping the bird shot out. And I don't know where she came up with the idea to put the dimes in there, but she mm-hmm. runs, she runs off and comes back with their bucket of dimes that he got from his most recent news reading. And they load the, the shells up with those. And it's like, that's brilliant. And I love one of the things, and this was a cool, subtle thing that is that kind of movie making shorthand that I really like. If you loaded a shotgun shell full of dimes like that, and I think, I think I read that you could probably put like 12 or 14 dimes in that shotgun shell. That thing's going to weigh so much more than that bird shot would. So if you notice oh, yeah. when he fires that and he shoots that guy, it knocks him right over. The recoil yep. from that is so much that it knocks over a seasoned veteran still. Mm-hmm. So, and, and like that was really cool because it gives that shot uh, so much more weight to it. And you really yeah. get a feel the, for the sound design there was really cool too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Like the, they have, you know, they're up on the high ground behind a rock and they're, they're below them and it's, there's no music playing. It's just the sounds of uh, them moving around and the gunshots. And it was just so well done. And then, they're kind of doing a little cat and mouse thing and he's he tricks the guy like i i really liked that that was a well put together well paced it kept your attention without having to get too flashy yep um so i really like that really tense oh very tense yeah cuz and but 
unlike some of now one of the things that Greengrass used to do, and it's it's the thing that I don't like about Born Supremacy, um, which he's gotten a lot better at, is staging stuff so you know where everyone is in relation to each other. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what makes the tension in this work because you don't ha- you're not constantly wondering like, well, wait, where is the you know Alme in relation to Captain Kidd in relation to Johanna? Like you know you you can you can wrap your head around where everybody is and keep track of right. that, and that makes it so the tension feels better. That was one of the things he used to do, especially Born Supremacy and a little bit in Ultimatum, was his action would be a little too close up, and you couldn't you just you lost sense of where everyone was. Yeah. Um, so and that's that's something I think that comes with practice and kind of just backing up a little bit, giving your giving your shots a little more width and a little more room to breathe. Which that's actually something I wanted to comment on overall for the movie is you see a lot of movies now where they're filming like on location in like an old European city, for example, or something like this, where they're in like the American West, which is gorgeous, but it's like close up on people, which is not necessarily wrong for some shots, but we have widescreen TVs in our homes. You mm-hmm. go to the movie theater and have a widescreen, you know, when when we can do that again. <laughs> right. Um but we have the technology now like to, to do this. And I'm so glad that he gave you all those wide panning shots because it was beautifully shot. You got to see so much like they used every inch of that screen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Some great aerial photography of flyovers. Uh, there was a really fun one I saw after they leave the town um, when they have the kid with them. And uh, there was an aerial shot that he color graded for night. Mm-hmm. And then transition that into day. Yeah, when that, that was happened, such a, that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. But you're right. Use those frames. You can have close-ups, but give us some wide shots to show these wonderful vistas that you've got, and like this great kind of hillside with rocks on it, and give us an idea of how far away that is from you know Almay's down here behind a rock. Don't just show him and then show Tom Hanks and that's it. Give me a perspective shot so we can have an idea. And that's something he's gotten a lot better with. And you're right, with, with widescreen TVs, with, with good formats and all that, use these frames better. Um, some yeah. of that, too, I think comes from uh, budgets, right? Like sometimes when you're shooting in Bucharest and you're trying to make it look like somewhere else, you kind of got to cheat it a little bit. This was shot, I think, in either Arizona or New Mexico. So it definitely can still look like Texas. And yeah, I get with, with the movies, there could be problems. Like what if there was power lines all over the place, you know, it'd be right. a lot harder to do those big aerial shots when you know, so you're going to digitally delete them all at huge expense. So I do get it, but I, I notice it and I appreciate it when, when they do, or a director or cinematographer does utilize the whole thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's why I love stuff that shot by uh, Roger Deakins always uses his whole frame and mm-hmm. when he's doing, I mean, Blade Runner 2049. Um, I just talked about him recently with something else. Uh, but him and um, uh, the guy that works with the Coen brothers all the time does the same thing where he just, they know, you know, directors and directors of photography that know how to use their frame and know that everything is a, they make them all paintings. Like, I love those movies where you could just take any still frame and you could blow it up and put it on your wall and be yeah, happy to have absolutely. that there. Yeah. Yeah, Edgar Wright is another one that can do that. It makes everything is so visually interesting. Um, there's never a boring looking shot, and this was the same in this movie. I will say I did notice some of the digital effects in it a little bit. Um, I don't know 
if that was just me watching it on my computer where I can kind of capture some audio and stuff like that uh, versus, say, sitting back at my TV or not. But there was a few times. It wasn't terrible. It was more like, okay, yeah, I, I understand that's not a real sandstorm that they're going through. Um, mm-hmm. and you can kind yeah, of okay. tell that might have been shot on a set. But overall, like, just the movie looks amazing. It, it's it's such a well-shot movie. And I can understand why this was up for a lot of, I think it was up for a few Golden Globes, um, if I remember correctly. And I, it definitely I think so, but it. it's kind of like you were saying in the beginning where you hadn't even heard of it, is I bet a lot of people this just kind of slid under the radar. With it being a, a smaller, you know, non-genre, non-big-budget Hollywood movie, yeah, it's Tom Hanks, and I think most moviegoers really like Tom Hanks, but is he... He's not the hottest name anymore. You know what right. I mean? Like he's he's selling tickets, but he's not selling tickets like he was after Saving Private Ryan or something. Right. Definitely. Plus, like you said, it's not a genre film. It's not a you know a big budget uh, blockbuster summer tentpole thing. It's just this this interesting little story of a man and this girl and kind of the journey that they go on to find out they need each other because they're really mm-hmm. they're both orphans. You know, yeah. Cap- Captain Kidd has no family anymore. And, you know, as we learn over the course of the movie, why this girl has no family, not only once, but twice. And the family she does have doesn't want her. That was heartbreaking, too. Oh, man. Yeah. When when he went back, um, I guess I have to say some spoilers here. So because this isn't your movie, if you're listening and you haven't seen it, you should. So maybe tune out for like a minute Um, when he goes back and they have her just tied to a post like a stray dog. And he was like, she's a kid like he was. He, he was in disbelief and heartbroken and did that Tom Hanks thing where with his eyes and a little crack in his voice, he delivered like every emotion possible. Yeah, it, it, it really was. It, you could see the heartbreak in his face and and the the uncle and the aunt were like, we tried. We, we, we don't know what to do. She just runs off. And yeah. You know, the, I mean, you the uncle, question, how hard did you really try? Cause he picked up a gun when he first came back. It's like, what are you doing? Right. Well, I, yeah. I mean, that was one of those where he picks up the gun right as uh, Tom Hanks is just literally unwrapping her leg. Like he's yeah. unwrapping her ankle. And, and it's one of those where like the uncle almost didn't, didn't want the girl from the get go. I mean, his first right. words were, you know, she has to work. Mm-hmm. And so it, what I liked about the scene was you get the heartbreak from Captain Kidd. And then over the course, as the scene is unfolding, as he's talking to her, so, so Captain Kidd is talking to Johanna. Johanna is looking at him. Meanwhile, you've got aunt and uncle both looking on, watching the two of them. And there's occasional eye contact. And over the course of things, you see, like with the aunt and the uncle, where they're like, okay, this is actually probably the best thing. If she wants to go with him, just let, him, let her go because she's not really our family anymore. Like she's not the little girl that left with, uh, with my sister yeah, and seven years ago or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a few kind of heart wrenching scenes in this because really the second half of this movie kind of kicks you in the gut a few times. They, they find the house where Johanna lived Mm -hmm. and that scene where she, you can see her starting to remember a little bit. Yeah. You know, those vague memories. Uh, and then, you have Tom Hanks visiting his wife's grave in San Antonio. After Going through meeting. his house even before that. Yeah. And, and and then that scene where he goes back to get her. Like, that's three kind of right in a row where it's just, oh, man, this movie's not letting up. 
Yeah, the uh, last 20 minutes is is uh, an emotional ride for sure. <laughs> it definitely is. But then it gives us a nice uh, a nice ending, and I did appreciate that quite a bit. Uh, it's a very yeah. uplifting story overall. Yeah, it's not a downer of a movie. I mean, even with those back-to-back-to-back um, kind of gut-wrenching sad scenes, it all pays off, and they... Paul Greengrass has earned it all by the time you get there. The characters have earned that by the time you get there. So it's not like it comes out of nowhere and it's not like it's a total downer and then has a happy ending out of nowhere. Right. No, definitely. And, and it's, it's yeah. Greengrass is, has gotten so much better over the years with his storytelling and his writing. Um, and I really appreciate that. And I appreciate it in this movie. Like it was, this was good. I'm really glad that you brought this one to my attention. Uh, Cause I wouldn't, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't have seen it, but it would have been a little while until I saw it because I just, I didn't know about it. And I'm glad. I, I'm really glad I saw it. I, I'm glad because I enjoyed it too. Um, I, I didn't know what to pick because when Joey's like, oh, do you want to do this? Here's the concept of the show. Pick any movie you haven't seen. And I'm like, <laughs> how do you pick? Like, it's it's infinite. But at the same time, I try to watch as much as I can. So it's like, I don't know what I haven't seen that I want to because I would have seen it. And it, I think it like just came to... Uh, the VOD rental, because it was on that premium, you know, $20 rental thing, oh, with right. the theater on demand thing. Um, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around a $20 rental. Um, <laughs> it can be tough. So, yeah. So when it was on the, the regular rental price, I was like, okay, that'd be a good one to jump on. Because um, I don't know about you, and this is a little off topic, if that's okay. That's fine. Um, but with the whole pandemic, the whole last year, and, you know, I love genres. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I rewatched the whole thing, Iron Man, all the way through to Endgame, or Spider-Man, again, just a few months ago. I'm not putting that stuff down at all, but I'm looking for a movie like this, where it's that kind of classic theater experience, the best version of a Hollywood movie, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, I actually had, right before the pandemic... Uh, was when I saw Knives Out. And Knives Out for me was very similar to that, where it was the type of movie that you don't have to see it in a theater. It's not a big-budget spectacle. It's not. It's it's a murder mystery, but it's not really like a genre and film. And how it's, it didn't necessarily need the big-screen treatment, but I think what you were getting at is it's it's one of those Hollywood movies, in, in the best sense of the word, big-budget, big-cast, big-everything, in the best ways... And you watch it and you're like, that's the movie I needed to see and I didn't know I needed to see it. Yes, that is exactly how Knives Out was for me. And this was very similar to that. I didn't know that I needed this movie. I didn't know mm-hmm. anything about it. I like newer westerns, but I, there's not a lot of them getting made. Yeah. This just it hit all the moments that I needed. It was an uplifting story. It was well-crafted. I really wish I'd had a chance to go see this in a theater. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, that's a great way to put it. It's the movie I didn't know I needed, but boy, was it good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'll, I'll sit here, you know, getting stuff done and have Netflix running on my laptop in the background or something, but I, I'd like to not be on my laptop and sit down and watch a movie on a big screen and not have my phone in the room and just do the movie thing, even if it's not in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. And this one was definitely worth that treatment. Yeah, I didn't ha- I didn't once look at how much time was left in the movie. Um, I nope. wasn't distracted. I-, I was sitting in front of my computer uh, to do it, but I wasn't distracted by other stuff during the movie. It kept my attention. 
And that's impressive to do in something. Because even the the best of uh, films, at some point your your ADD just kicks in and you're you're looking at something else, or you you try to. And I'm the same way. I like to sit down and have the theater experience, whether it's at home or not. I can I can replicate it pretty well at home now. Um, it's not quite the same thing, but but I still like that. I like to sit down and you know shut everything off and watch the movie. Yeah, exactly. And this was one that. I really, I could have done, you know, this, w- this would be the kind of thing where I could, you know, go to my dad's house in his home theater and watch it on his yep. giant screen and really just have a great time with it. So, but yeah, I just, I mean, these sweeping Vista shots and just gorgeous backgrounds. Um, yeah. The scenery, I, I can't, it's not like I can't get over it. Like I've never seen scenery before, but I just, it still seems like now while we're doing 4k and 8k is coming and, having a even a 65 inch TV in your living room is not really a big deal anymore for a lot of people like it's mm-hmm. not so uncommon um like you said the home theater thing home theaters are way on the rise especially after last year yeah um so for a movie to actually utilize the screen and the picture and the quality like the lighting was perfect the quality was crisp i mean even on the stream i did the the UHD rental from Amazon yeah and it looked like it was 4K it was all there yeah, and that again is Greengrass has a really good eye for how things should look because you could, the film buff in me could spot times where it's like, okay, here's a little day for night. Like here's something that they shot and then they color graded it to really to really amp up the fact that it's kind of at dusk. Um, but it was so well done that, you know, it's it's more me like me being the complete nerd that I am noticing it rather than it being something that was blatantly obvious. Like it's just, it's so well crafted and there's always something interesting to look at. Even when it's just a a barren landscape with a person walking, like they just, it reminded me of, um, I saw unforgiven recently for the first time uh, a few months ago. And that has a lot of those same types of shots and that's a 30 year old movie. Yeah. So it's a very different style of shooting, but you can tell where that probably was a an influence on this. Um, and I really like that because it's it's very easy to shoot something with a kind of a... Because there was a little bit of a sepia filter in a lot of this um, to give it that sort of Western feel. That I was bumping into that in the very beginning where I was like, oh man, why is this so muted? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I got used to it or maybe they muted it less as it went on as Tom Hanks character is kind of coming to life. Like, was it symbolic? Um, maybe I just got used to it, but it, it bothered me the first, maybe 15, 20 minutes and then not again. So, yeah, it it was one of those things. I noticed it early on. You're right though. I didn't notice it as it went along and maybe, maybe that is just kind of adjusting to it. But what I noticed was early on, even though I could tell that that was the case, it didn't take away from anything for me. Like it felt, it felt good and it, it was muted, but not bland. It wasn't like a, a flat color palette. There was still depth to things. Yeah. And it didn't even go as far as like, um, like band of brothers. That's mm-hmm. all very downplayed. And that was the stylistic choice, but it wasn't even that far gone. Um, no, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, and, and then the music, the music in this movie was really well put together and placed. I felt like, and there was a good, cause I'm a big movie score guy. I love scores. Um, but what I liked about this was a variety. We had the beginning of it had this sort of, 
um, world music. It almost felt a lot like the music that would play in episodes of Firefly, where they would be in the frontier, that kind of frontiersy style of music. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some very um, moments of some uh, some kind of Native American influence in there uh, that I really dug, and then just these kind of swelling uh, orchestral moments too. The the score overall just really fit at every point, um, which is good. I, I like a it. There wasn't a particular melody that I could pick out. There wasn't like a, a moment where I'm like, oh, that. There wasn't the the John Williams style of score. It's a subdued yeah. score, but it fit all the way through. And like you were saying with the the shootout scene, um, the absence of the score was also really well used. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so I did look. This was uh, this is nominated for four Academy Awards. Um, okay. Best sound. Definitely. Uh, achievement in production design. Absolutely. Um, achievement in music written. So original score. Oh, James Newton Howard. That explains why I liked it so much. I like his work. And then uh, cinematography. So totally, uh, I mean, worthy of all of those. Yeah, the it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the production design was great. The look of everything, the from you know from the costume department down to the towns, like seeing because this was what right after the Civil War, so like eighteen seventy, right around there, and seeing towns like Houston or Galveston or Dallas, and how small they feel for being you know basically, I mean Dallas was the biggest city that they go to, and it never feels huge. But it definitely yeah. feels like a, a a city. But the rest of them, I mean, Wichita Falls is just a, a collection of of houses, and it, it just everything looked great. I really liked the production design in this. I liked how uh, worn, like it looked real world worn. Mm-hmm. Everything that they encountered, really, because it's such a, a harsh way to settle. Yeah, absolutely, and and real world worn. It didn't look. Uh, forced or overly dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, things were still clean, but they weren't like pristine. It wasn't new. Clothing was, you know, all very drab colors because that's what you would have. Uh, but not. It wasn't like everything was covered in mud. Uh, but there was definitely uh, mud in there. But you and you could see things like the roads were in disrepair. Yeah. Um, but they weren't. Uh, it was never impassable either. Um, so I, I just, I really liked the, just about everything in this movie. I can't say enough good things about it. it was yeah. Really it felt good. like they, they paid every bit of attention to detail on how would things look not only in this time period, but in this time period when they couldn't put any resource into it because of the war, you know, every little thing like that, it seems like they researched and, or maybe just because audiences don't know exactly how it looked, they were able to get away with it, but it, it didn't seem like they were trying to pull one over on anybody in any way. No, no, not at all. Now, one thing I am inter- interested to to know what you think. Uh, they touch on it a little bit when so right in the beginning of the movie, when Captain Kidd leaves the, the town of Wichita Falls, he runs across the wagon that was carrying Johanna, and mm-hmm. it was being driven by a black man, and he finds him hanging in a tree. And uh, it was uh, there was like something that said Texas is for whites only, and so they start playing on the racism there. And but then they also when he's in the second town, it wasn't Dallas, it was I don't think it was Houston either though. 
but um, I'm not sure whatever town that was. And he's reading the news off and they start talking about the, you know, United States amendments to the constitution and this and that. And it's yelling about uh, the, the guys in the room yelling about the Northern blues and Texas first and all of this kind of stuff. They touch on it, but they don't hammer it over. You know, they don't beat you over the head with it. I'm just wondering if, uh, how different that might've been if this movie was made, say a year later. Um, with some of the secession stuff and some of like the, because there's almost a little bit of that, uh, you know, here's here's Captain Kidd just trying to deliver news to people, and they're they're rallying against it simply because it's not what they want to hear. Yeah, and I wonder how different that would have been a year later. Like, it feels like Paul Greengrass kind of wanted to, to dip his toes in that pool a little bit, but not quite dive in, because um, it really. I think it would have taken away from it would have taken away from the story of Captain Kidd in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think they used it more as uh, here's exactly where we are in history without punching a date onto the screen superimposed because it's like, okay, this movie takes place after the Civil War. So the whole country is one again. It's like, no, it's not that far after the Civil War. Right. He was saying President Ulysses can rejoin the United States. You know, the Confederacy can rejoin the United States when these amendments are accepted and being in the deep South occupied deep South, they were not being, they were not thrilled to being told what to do. So I, I, I know why I, I can see why he didn't spend a lot of time on the race relations of it because mm-hmm. that wasn't the story, but I think it was good that he put it in there just so you knew I mean, you almost got the day. I mean, you were within some months, if you look at history, as to where this exactly took place. Yeah. Well, and you even had, like, when the Union soldiers run run across him, uh, they're asking him for his, uh, what was it, oath of loyalty. Yeah. And he had to show, like, printed oath of loyalty to the Union army. Um, and, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. It was just, it was one of those where it skirted along. It also gave you a good a uh, good feeling for the character of Captain Kidd in that he doesn't just denounce everything that's going on in the South and in Texas, but he also doesn't back it. Yep. He, he diffuses his, the situation because you got a, a, a barn full of people who are getting upset and they're, they're just starting to yell at the union soldiers that are in the room. The union soldiers are there and let's face it, they're the, the union army is not painted in a great light in this movie because they don't do No, they're pretty antagonistic. (laughs) Yeah. They're pretty worthless. You know, he, he runs into one group because that was one of the things that uh, I, I saw right away. So he runs into a group of union soldiers who ask him for his oath of loyalty, ask him what he's doing there, ask him who the girl is. And -hmm. then they just leave. They, they see the man hanging in the tree behind them. They see the girl and they just leave him there. So he, yeah. and, and the next scene we cut to is him finishing up a grave for that man. So he cut him down out of the tree and buried him and gave him a proper burial. And that right there is like, that's perfect shorthand for, okay, this is a good man. This man yep. is, is a good person, regardless of which side of the civil war he was on. And, and we get that feeling for it. And then, then his next news reading he's again, he's just reciting the words and people are starting to get upset and he calms them all down and is just like, look, we're all hurting. We need, but, but we can, we can rise together and be better than this. Yeah. And that's interesting that 
that that was in the script because this wasn't made a year later. Like you're saying, would how different would this be? Mm-hmm. But he was saying kind of what people need to hear right now in 2021 is like, right. you're unhappy about this. We're unhappy with this. Like, but we have common ground. If we come together, we can do better overall on all of these things. Absolutely. Which I thought was really interesting. And I also thought that scene was really cool now that we're going back over it because that was a scene where he was just delivering information and when the crowd was starting to get rowdy, he found the perfect way to diffuse it. And later, he purposely gets the crowd going, and he knows the perfect thing to say to light the fire. Yeah. So that was really cool, too. And that kind of showed a side of him early on that he didn't really know he had, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, th- those two scenes are great um, kind of opposing images of each other. Uh, yeah. So I, I did enjoy that because, you know, he gets to that that city. He doesn't want to be there. All he wanted to do was pass through. And yeah, these people are, <laughs> yeah, these people are like, uh, yeah, you're not allowed in our County. Um, and they, they force him to read the news, but they force him to read their news. And as soon as he picks up that newspaper and he looks at it, and this is before we know he was a print man prior to the war. Yeah. So he starts looking at it immediately. You can see on his face, the recognition of like, he knows exactly what this thing is. And, it's, and that it's propaganda that this guy puts out to make himself look good. And so, yeah, then he just has that moment of realization. It's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do now. I'm going to stir the pot and, and get this guy. And he had to have known that they were going to come after him. So that's a pretty brave thing to do if you really think about it, is try to incite I, this crowd. Yeah, I kind of had the feeling that he felt like he was like, I'm kind of screwed either way. I'm going to take my shot. Yeah, true. Because he, <laughs> he pretty much was. like. I mean, that was say his... he reads all the propagandas. The guy just going to slap him on the back and send him on his way? I mean. Yeah. And, you know, he. I mean, obviously the, the kid gets him out of that scrape and that helps. But um, there again, you saw uh, the whole thing with the shotgun and this time the girl firing it and. I like that they were consistent with that recoil again, where it knocks her right on her butt. Yeah. Um, which it totally would. The, the heavy, that heavy of a projectile or several projectiles. I can't imagine getting shot with a shell full of dimes. <laughs> no. Like, ow. <laughs> Especially because it was like all five feet away. <laughs> right. Oh, that was terrible. But I also like the fact that the movie could have two different little shootout scenes in it. And neither one felt gratuitous. It didn't have to resort to being overly bloody, but it still felt real. It yeah. didn't feel like a like a. It didn't feel PG thirteen or like sanitized, but it also mm-hmm. didn't have to quite go to you know the opening of Saving Private Ryan levels in terms of like how visceral it was going to be. Right. Yeah. There was. I don't. I don't. Can't really think of any. Um... Like there was blood like on the the mattress when Johanna finds her childhood home. Mm -hmm. Um, But aside from things like that, that were more for tone, there was really no gore effect at all. No, no, there really wasn't. Um, And there also wasn't really any bad language. No, surprised. Like you would. This feels like it would be the type of movie that would use that as a way to really get some points across, even if it's not throughout the whole thing. Like, I feel like a movie like this would at some point have somebody with just super crass language and they never went that route. Like the Um, soldiers, because they were really painting them to kind of just be (laughs) dickish. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're really, I mean, outside of uh, kid and then his, uh, his friend, 
I think it's Samuel um, that he runs into. The soldiers are all just total dicks. Every every one of them that they show. Yeah. So. Which I, I don't know if they were doing that just because they were an occupying force and they were just like done with it. Like they were just exhausted. I don't really know why. Uh, maybe it was just to show that really nobody is right in war. Like, I, I'm not really sure why they went so hard that way, but it might've just been a story device to be like, this is why he's taking care of the kid and the, the army's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, kind of, because if you think about it, this, this whole thing, if the, uh, if the union army's representative for the kids was there, the, the native representative, um, yeah. and not gone for three months, there's no movie. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's the plot device that gets things going, but yeah, I just, uh, it, it's so good. And Tom, again, Tom Hanks and, um, and what's her name? Uh, uh, uh Helena Zengel, uh, just kill it. They're just so good. She does so much acting with her eyes and, and just, she has very few lines of dialogue at all. And even fewer that are in English that aren't subtitled, but even she does, by the end, the two characters don't really speak the same language, a handful of words, but they just kind of understand each other. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a testament to two really skilled actors and then developing a really great chemistry between the two of them. Um, and that's not easy to do at all, especially when one of those two is 12 years old and right. not a native English speaker to begin with. So, yeah, so they couldn't even go over a scene together and then shoot it. They always had to have a, a translator in there, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, so that was it was impressive. And it's really good directing from Paul Greengrass. He he is just, man, he's gotten better. He's gotten so much. He's, his, his abilities have uh, improved, and his storytelling ability has just gotten a ton better. It makes me want to go back and rewatch some of his other... Um, like, I didn't actually watch Jason Bourne. Uh, and I, I feel like I need to go back and watch that now. Um, and he's working on uh, an adaptation, it looks like, of 1984. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. He's attached to direct it. Uh, that's all it. That's all they have um, <laughs> is Paul Greengrass directing. So, yeah, that one might be stuck in development hell for a while. But yeah, don't hold your breath. <laughs> no, no. Uh, anytime you see announced tag on uh, IMDb, you, you have to take that with a little grain of salt, right? Oh, um, yeah, yeah. It's like seeing it on Wikipedia. It's like, is it? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But, yeah, I mean, Greengrass is just, he's gotten better. This would be probably at this point, and, and there is a little bit of recency bias in this, but this might be my favorite Paul Greengrass movie. And I like Born Ultimatum a lot. That was a, a super fun uh, spy thriller. This is just such a different feeling movie. That's very true. It is a very different movie, but it's also uh, just a very, it's a very focused movie. It knows what it wants to be. And I think yeah. that goes a long way because um, you can sometimes run into where a movie doesn't quite know what it wants to be. And it sort of plays in a couple of different pools. And this one definitely focuses in and knows the, he knows the story he's trying to tell and he doesn't let other things um, kind of get in the way. Like, uh, and there's so many elements that could have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked the about work of the, um, the the racism, not just uh, with African Americans, but also with Native Americans, because mm-hmm. um, it's it's mentioned, it's there, but it's never the focus. It, it never takes away from the core story. Um, 
just, you know, the reconstruction. There was so many elements that they could have done a scene on and then diverted off from the main tale and then had to course correct back on. It would have, that probably would have had us checking the runtime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, even, even having, uh, that young kid with him, um, cause at one point I thought, okay, so now it's going to be three of them to the end of the movie and they just mm-hmm. drop him off and send him on his way. And, yeah. you know, he tries a couple of times to stick with him and Tom Hanks is, you know, Captain Kidd is just like, no, you, you need to, because at that point he, he is not in a place where he can really take on anybody. He doesn't even want to take on the girl. He doesn't right. He's so. doing his duty and that's about it. And then on top of that, when he drops her off, you know, the first thing that the uncle says is, so I was, so you want money? And he's like, no, I don't want money for this. Like he was just doing it to get her home. And that's, again, they, they bring that idea of this is a genuinely good and wholesome person without it feeling like it feels earned. Yeah. And I think that scene that I mentioned where he buries the, the man that was hanging in the tree where it's just a smash cut to that. There's no, there's no grandiose thing. There's no, like they don't make a huge deal out of it. It just smash cut to that. And then they go away from it and it's never mentioned again. And that's a great shorthand. So later on, all of his decisions make sense. And you believe that this character would do these things. And I do think there's some built in understanding of that. And I think it's the first thing you mentioned when we started talking was that when you cast Tom Hanks, you you have that built in trust and like, OK, I'm in good hands with this guy. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. He, he so the, was... the movie did tell the story with the kid. It's all there. It's complete. But mm-hmm. I think it's enhanced with the actor. Totally. Totally. And I mean, Tom Hanks perfectly cast for this. Um, I can't imagine anyone else giving the same level of, of realism and, and believability to what this character is without it feeling forced. But with Tom mm-hmm. Hanks, it just feels like, no, this is right. Cause it's, you know, the, that face, you just trust that face. So yeah, yeah I, with somebody else, it might've even felt like it was a bit much like, mm-hmm. okay, he can't be so virtuous, but, right. but <laughs> because it's something Hanks. we've been watching be virtuous for 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because this is kind of a similar character in terms of sort of the soldier, uh, somewhat haunted by his life that he played in saving private Ryan and in, in a way, a little um, bit, just kind of man of honor, man of duty. Yeah. It, it's a, it's an older version, um, and a more, I would say more beaten down version of that character. Um, but it's, it's similar. Uh, and I, I just, I dug it. I dug it a lot. This is a good movie. If you haven't seen it yet and you've listened to us talk about it, you know, spoilers or not, like it's, it's worth seeing. Cause you're not, nothing's getting ruined. Uh, there's no, like, it's not like a big twist reveal or anything like that. Um, but it's definitely, this is a mer- movie worth seeing. Uh, yeah. It's, it's sure. one of the better modern Westerns that I've seen in quite a while. Um, and, th- you know, there's not a lot of them that get made anymore. Uh, but it feels... That is a, jo- a genre, though, that I feel like, while there aren't many of them made anymore, boy, are they good when they do make them. Yeah, I think there's a lot of... Because um, when Westerns were first coming up, it's because they were cheap. So they're yeah. just cranking them out. But now I think there's such a Hollywood staple that when someone is making a, rev- a, a Western, there's this reverence to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you look at what ones we've had recently, and I mean, I can go back to Open Range, 
but that's Kevin Costner, and Kevin Costner's always been big on westerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tarantino is a westerns fan, um, and so he's done a couple. Uh, and like you mentioned, Three Ten to Yuma. Three Ten to Yuma is a, a nice remake, and a, and yep. a really I like good that one western. a lot. The remake, um, and the True Grit remake, I really like too. Yes, True Grit was one uh, that I just saw within the last year. Um, oh, okay, cool. I somehow managed to. As a Coen Brothers fan and a Jeff Bridges fan, and it took me 10 years to see True Grit. I don't know what the <laughs> hell's wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, and that's that's the thing I like because I love sci-fi movies. I love fantasy movies, but it's sort of like, it's a little hit and miss on those sometimes. You can have something really good, but boy, can they be bad. And it doesn't feel like as many bad Westerns are made these days um, as, as other types of films. So... It's also nice to have the different flavor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and maybe that's part of it is because there aren't so many of them made, it feels uh, unique. It feels different um, yeah. to watch a Western, a really well-made Western. Um, but yeah, this is totally worth seeing. Uh, watch it. I, I had not heard of it until a couple of weeks ago, uh, but boy, am I glad I saw it. So, um, so you do a show, and I talked to Joey a little bit about this last week, but I want you to kind of talk about it too. So Wizard. Um, tell me a little, tell, tell the audience a little bit about the So Wizard podcast. All right. Uh, well, I was actually a kind of a late comer to the So Wizard podcast. It, it started with four friends, um, Joey, Mark Ellis, Aubrey, Tom, uh, Tom is now on, he does a different show now. Okay. Um, not another nerdy podcast. I'm pretty sure is what it is now. Okay. I should know that, <laughs> but the, the other three are still doing the core So Wizard podcast They've been going for years now, uh, never missed an update, which is incredible. I know. And uh, at first, I was just the web guy, because I knew Joey from way back. He used to be in a band, and when I was in high school, I used to try to put on concerts, and he was always nice enough to show up, and they would play, and we just kind of stayed in touch. And I'm a web designer in my day job, so when he was doing it, he was like, hey, would you mind helping us out with this? So I did a couple versions of their site. You know, It's still maintained now. And the site became, hey, you know, if you wanted to write an article or something, you know, go go for it. You know, why not? Content is content. Uh, then I would guest a few times, which was always fun. And I started going to cons with them, and I really get along with the whole crew. And then um, when we kind of made a push for YouTube, I was kind of figuring it out at first. And, you know, they were helping me put stuff up. And then I just kind of was handed the reins, and I mostly do the So Wizard YouTube aspect. So, okay. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, and and you guys are great. I I really enjoy uh, the stuff that you guys do. So um, if you the, if, the three of them have such good chemistry. I mean, they've all known each other, mm-hmm. but I think they've also just been podcasting together so long. They have the rhythms down and the comedy down, and they really just gel so well that it's it's pretty impressive. I think because it's, yeah. it's not the easiest thing to have a three host show and have it be funny and never miss a week at the same time. It's, it's pretty crazy. That was the thing when Joey was telling me last week that they hadn't missed uh, an episode and they hadn't missed a week in like eight years or something or nine years. And I'm thinking I've been doing this for almost just, just over two. I haven't missed a week yet, but it's me. So it's like one person that has to do that all the time. And then I get, I rotate through people there. He's telling me that there's, you know, the three of them or the four of them or whatever. And they never, I was blown away. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, there's an, there's an occasion where somebody isn't on that week, whether they're doing something else for the podcast or mm-hmm. just, you know, life gets in the way. But 
almost all the time it's it's the three of them and it's funny because like when i took over the youtube thing at first i was just doing um like i think i was doing like wednesdays and fridays or something like that and i was giving myself a schedule they never said like hey stick to the schedule and you have to do it <laughs> and if i missed a week i was like i'm doing one or two a week and i missed already and they've been doing this for years and they're they're getting it done so it, it's it's pressure I put on myself, but it's just funny because it's like the So Wizard brand doesn't miss. So I really try not to miss. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, if you're listening to this show and you don't already check out So Wizard, check them out. So Wizard podcast. Uh, it's So Wizard on Twitter, right? Uh, yep. Yeah. I think it's So Wizard podcast. Yeah. It, nope. You're right. It is So Wizard podcast on Twitter. Uh, is it So Wizard podcast.com or just So Wizard.com? So Wizard podcast. I'm pretty sure it's So Wizard podcast everything. Okay. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and SoWizardPodcast.com. Awesome. We'll definitely check that check that out because it's uh, some great stuff. And we still got two more weeks of the uh, – it's a So Wizard Podcast month on my show. Uh, next week is Better Off Dead, um, which I'm looking forward to because I know I've seen it before, but, boy, has it been a while. Uh, however, John Cusack, he's one of those that I'll watch in anything. I mean, it doesn't matter. And then the week after that is Event Horizon and – I can't wait for this one. Somebody who hasn't seen Event Horizon, too. That's the the, the fun part for me. Um, nice. But, Adam, thank you for coming on this week. This was a ton of fun. Uh, we'll have to yeah, do it again. Yeah, thanks for having You're me. That was great. Definitely. Welcome back anytime. Uh, if you think of another movie that you haven't seen um, that you want to, or, or you know, come to me with some stuff that you really like. I'm sure there's stuff I haven't seen. So, yeah, that could be fun. Um now, I record uh, Sunday nights, 8 p.m., and I stream it live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. Uh, so come hang out and be, uh, you know, be like uh, J.K. Grammer or, uh, or Nisbet or Phil Rudd and hang out in the chat room and yell at me. Uh, we got raided partway through the show, and uh, somebody said, boy, his focus is amazing. Like, no, I saw. I saw that we got raided, and I appreciate it. It was great. Uh, the show comes out on Wednesdays. Um, I gave it the worst name possible, calling it Wait You Haven't Seen and putting uh, putting question marks and ellipses in there. So it's easiest to go to tvstravis.com to find the show. Uh, you can subscribe there in Apple, Google Podcasts, uh, RSS feed to throw into your favorite podcatcher, whatever you want to do. Um, if you do like the show and you are subscribed through something like Apple Podcasts, if you can leave me a rating, um, that helps the show become more discoverable and get more people watching it. So uh, I... I greatly appreciate that but until next week um i'm gonna have a uh, uh, yet another so wizard podcaster and uh we're gonna be talking better off dead and i can't wait for that uh so until then as i usually say you need to enjoy your movies but you know the world is still a little crazy so let's be excellent to each other this has been wait you haven't seen in that church and she says till death us do part don't you believe a word of it <laughs> diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this program <laughs>